You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 17, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. If you're a first-time listener, thank you so much for coming and joining us in this discussion. Uh, this is probably the most important discussion we've had in this show so far. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. I appreciate it and continue to recommend this show to your friends. Clearly, it's growing, and so you guys are must be out there spreading the word, and I really appreciate that a ton. As I alluded to in the last episode in the introduction, today's episode is going to easily be the most haunting one, and I hope the last one that is like this Um I found it very difficult to have this interview and do the research, but I think it's super important for us to, to know about and to do something about it. I would caution you, if you have young children, that this might not be an appropriate episode for them to be listening to in the car, as much of what we discussed today is going to be very disturbing. So there are oftentimes these historical questions you ask yourself. If you were in a certain position at a previous historical time, would you have done things differently than the people at that time period? For instance, if you had lived in Germany in 1937, 1938, 1939, and you knew what was going on with the Jews, would you have done something to stop it? If you were someone in the international community, not in living in Germany, and you had known what was going on, what would your response have been? What would you have done? I know we'd all like to think we'd do something, and we'd do as much as we could to try and prevent those atrocities from occurring in the Holocaust. Well, today we're going to talk about something that is I don't know if on par on atrocities, can, if there's any sort of way of figuring out equivalency, but certainly what we're going to discuss today is as disturbing as what happened during World War II, at the very least, I think. We're going to discuss forced organ harvesting that's occurring in China. There's a preponderance of evidence. I think we'll go through that in the show, and you should be convinced uh, that what we're going to talk about today is real. Not only is it something that's happening today in 2018, but it's been going on for a long time, at least two thousand mid-2000s, 2004, 2005, probably before then. But China has been executing prisoners and then harvesting their organs against their will. This is obviously a violation of human rights and human decency. And anyone, whether you're religious or not, should absolutely be appalled by this behavior. And again, I think we should all be committed to stopping this or putting an end to it as soon as possible. I want to apologize to Dr. Corson, who at the end of the episode I cut off before I gave her an opportunity to talk about the fact that there's always hope. And I think it's important, um, certainly as many people who are of the Christian faith, there's always hope. And even those who are not, uh, certainly the, the American spirit is one of optimism and the thought that we can do something to fix problems. And so I think we want to maintain our hope that we can end this terrible human rights uh, abuse. And I'll go through a couple things that I'd ask you in the audience and things, and I'll go through some things at the end of the show, uh, which I think would be effective and things that we can do as just the average Joe or Jane uh, citizen in the United States. And these are things that I will do also along with you. So this is as much a call to action as it is a call to join me as we try to work together to end this problem. On a final note, I used a different recording mechanism for my software and found that I could no longer edit the separate tracks. And so there is a portion where the phone rings probably three inches from my head. And I apologize, I turned it off, but you will get a ring in the middle of the conversation. I apologize for that. I know it won't bother people that much, uh, but just so you're forewarned. That, that won't happen again. I should be able to solve that problem from a technical standpoint. So I'd encourage you to share the show, especially this episode, because I think what we're going to talk about, again, is extremely important. I'd also ask that you 
support me if you like the show and support the show at the Patreon page at patreon.com slash the paradox. There are three different levels of support there. There's a $2 per month support and there's the $8 a month and $25 a month support levels. The $2 level will provide exclusive access to bonus content of which there's now three episodes where I was the guest on other shows. And those who sign up for the $8 or $25 levels will have a special gift sent to you sometime near the end of the year. Again, all the funds and proceeds that are raised through the Patreon page go towards the production and the promotion of the show only. But without further ado, I'd like to present Force Organ Harvesting in China with Dr. Ann Corson. Enjoy. This is Dr. Eric Larson. I'm speaking with Dr. Ann Corson, who's a physician in Pennsylvania. And today's episode is going to be a departure. I feel like I say this about every episode now, but it is a departure from what we've been discussing in the past, where we have focused on domestic issues uh, in the sense that delivery uh, problems with healthcare, or um, I guess basically just the, the problems that physicians in this country face. Today, I, episode was, uh, was, was spurred by a, a podcast I listened to in the Jason Stapleton program a few weeks ago. Um, and it's an issue that it relates to medicine, and it's um, something that struck me to the bone, I guess you'd say. Uh, it was, and it's one I thought I absolutely had to find someone to talk about this on my show, because I think the more people know about this, the better. And so that's sort of the premise for Dr. Invite, the invitation for Dr. Corson here to, to come on. Uh, we're going to discuss forced organ harvesting, and uh, we'll get into sort of what that is in a little bit. But I'd first like to thank you so much for being uh, on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a uh, integrated family physician in the uh, greater Philadelphia area. And I first learned about the forced organ harvesting of prisoners of conscience in China in 2008. And at that time, I joined an international organization called Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting. And I have, over the years, become involved in our internet newsletter, and I currently am editor-in-chief of our newsletter, uh, which comes out about every two to three months um, on the internet, and it's really a great source of information about this whole problem. And it can be found at uh, our website at www.dafoh.org. Right. And that uh, and a a tremendous amount of links will be available at the show notes page, which will be found at the paradox.com slash 017 as this is episode 17. Now um, I guess we'll get started here. Basically uh, for anyone who's not aware of how the organs transplantation program works, there are essentially in this, in the United States, the most transplants I would say are done uh, for uh, people who are who have are deceased. I mean, there are for a kidneys. You can you can provide one of your kidneys to a, either living related or or some other person. You can donate a kidney. Uh, but for most organs, obviously like a heart or pancreas or lungs or liver, usually they have to be someone deceased. And so, in this country, it is someone who has been who has agreed to be be on the organ uh, transplant list. And so that when something happens. Then some the gift of life I think is generally the organization that that uh, coordinates that those organs are then available they're they're harvested is the term we use in medicine and then they are transplanted into a patient who has been on place in a waiting list how they're prioritized you know, varies in sort of um, whether you're a pediatric or adult population but essentially it is all a voluntary system um, and so what we're going to talk about today is different in that it's a forced system so. China is a totalitarian state. I mean, I know that they are, um, from an economic standpoint, they are um, have more freedoms than they've had in the past, and so they have a sort of, I guess you'd say, a mixed, like socialist economy, I guess. Um, but they are very much a totalitarian um, state, and so that the rights of the citizens are very limited. And so, at some point, this this came out. And so, why don't you just describe the the process of of, um, or maybe why don't we just talk about the, 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 the scope of this, of this issue right now, and, and why don't you just talk, start there so that people have an idea for the organs in this country and then what we're talking about in China, sort of the magnitude. 
Uh, well, let's uh, first establish the fact that China really has a very long history of human rights abuses. That's a good place to start. Religion, political dissidents, as well as the use of executed prisoners as organ sources. Um, the U.S. Congressional Executive Commission on China actually in 2012 heard testimony um, about uh, the issue using use of executed prisoners and even prisoners of conscience in China, um, and they have uh, done a great deal of uh, work on this. Um, the uh, government, the uh, House of Representatives, heard testimony in 2001 from a Chinese doctor who said that he had re been required to remove tissues and skin and cornea from uh, corpses of over 100 executed prisoners and on a few occasions victims of intentionally botched executions so that they would you know uh, shoot off center so that the heart was still beating so the organs would have a longer what we call warm ischemic time or they would last longer outside the body uh, and this was done to executed prisoners uh, you know for, for some time um, in 2016 the u.s department of state human rights report on china um, stated that uh, international medical professionals and human rights researchers question the voluntary nature of organ donation system in China, even question the accuracy of the official statistics of the number of transplants and the official claims about where the organs come from, uh, as the country at that time really had no tradition of organ donation and its organ donation system, which, was, which is newly constructed, is really in a fledgling state. And then there's a large um, article from Freedom House, which as you know, is a organization, an independent watchdog organization uh, donated, dedicated to the uh, uh, expansion of freedom and democracy around the world, published a special report in 2017 written by Sarah Cook, uh, talking about the battle for China's religious spirit uh, and stating that there's credible evidence suggesting that in the beginning of the early 2000s, Falun Gong detainees were killed for their organs on a large scale, and that this may be continuing even today. So uh, this has been known and discussed for some time um, among governmental and uh, human rights organizations. Let's just return to transplant ethics for a moment. There are internationally accepted codes of ethics in transplant medicine, which is, of course, a relatively new field of medicine. Um, and the World Organization, Health Organization, or WHO, uh, has guiding principles on human cell tissue and organ transplantation. Um, and these are really the leading guide, ethical guidelines, and they're based on the concepts of altruistic donation, where the donor must give free, voluntary and informed consent prior to the organ procurement. And this is what we do when we check the little box on our driver's license saying that we want to be organ donors so that if we ever show up, you know, brain dead in the hospital, they can take our organs. Of course, our families still have to consent as well. Right. Um, the WHO principles require uh, that health professionals provide transparent reporting on organ transplantation, but these are guidelines. They're not law. So that the compliance with this requires voluntary um, actions on the part of health professionals in all the different countries. Sure. Uh, the World Health Organization principles say that financial incentives to donors are prohibited. So you can't pay somebody and you can't commercialize organ donation. And they also say that transparency in organ procurement processes are essential to ensuring that donations are altruistic and voluntary. But when we look at the history of China's transplant medicine, it's been unethical from the beginning and unfortunately remains unethical despite their claims to the contrary. There's always been a lack of transparency. Um, China had its first report of executing a prisoner for organs in 1978 when a, a political prisoner was executed to get a kidney for the son of a, a high Politburo cadre member. Um, in 1984, the government enacted what was called provisional regulations on the use of corpses or the organs of executed prisoners, which allowed the bodies and the organs of prisoners to be used at will by the state, they say under certain conditions, um, such as they're not claimed or whatnot. So that is the only law in the Chinese legislation on record, which deals with the use of prisoner corpses. 
That law has never been changed. It's never been repealed. It's never been added to. Now, in the 1990s, political prisoners were reported to be the sources of organs and sometimes while they were still alive. There was a, a Uyghur Chinese doctor by the name of Enver Tati uh, who told a story after many years um, about how he was taken to an uh, execution grounds and uh, was told to remove the uh, liver and kidneys of a man whose heart was still beating after he'd been shot in the chest off center. And the horror of him being made to remove the organs of a man who was still alive haunted him. And he finally has told that story. Um, and so that was from the early 1990s. Now, Transplant medicine in China was really in its infancy because culturally, uh, they don't believe in donating organs uh, due to their traditional cultural beliefs of the body needing to be whole um, you know, after death. So voluntary donations have always been a very, very small part of their organ procurement processes. So the vast majority of organs have come from executed prisoners. Um, and this really... Um, um, you know, held back the development of the Chinese transplant medicine. And they were really used to be one of the lowest in the world in terms of uh, transplant numbers. Well, in about 2000, there began an exponential explosion in Chinese transplant medicine. Even the government started to prioritize organ transplant in its national strategies and started investing heavily in research and development in the building of new hospitals, the expansion of transplant wards, um, industrialization, and even in the domestic production of immunosuppressant pharmaceuticals, as well as the training of transplant personnel, many of whom went abroad to the United States and Europe and Australia in order to be trained in transplant medicine techniques that were up to date. So why did this happen? Well, I'll get to that. Then on the other side of the world in Israel in 2005, Jacob Levy, the director of the heart transplantation unit at the Tel Aviv University, had a patient come to him who'd been on the top of the heart transplant list for some time. And the patient told him, my insurance company told me I have to go to China for a transplant. They have scheduled my heart transplant in two weeks. Well, Dr. Levy went, what are you talking about? You know, if you, if you schedule a heart transplant, that means that someone's going to die in order to procure the heart for you. And who's a match? Um, yeah, exactly. And so man said, well, I don't care. I'm going to go anyway. Right. So he went. He went to China. He got a heart and he came back. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. And you can find Dr. Levy's story uh, online. Um, but... Um, he really was so appalled at the fact that it was clear that somebody was actually killed on purpose to get the heart for this patient who paid, you know, for it, um, that he really got the Knesset in Israel to pass a law in 2008 that forbade Israelis to go to China for organs and also stopped the Israeli medical system, which is fully socialized, from paying for the immunosuppressant drugs for those patients that went to China um, to get organs. Um, you know, this, the first man that, that he learned about, that first patient, actually it was the Israeli medical system that actually paid for that transplant. Oh, my. Um, so, you know, he was uh, one man and one physician who really had a whole nation, you know, legislate this as criminal activity. And, and Israel was really in the forefront. Several countries have joined suit, but unfortunately, the United States has not yet. So, so I'm gonna, can I interject for just a moment? Sure. So the story you, you paint here is hard for anyone in the West to believe is like even could occur, that you would take prisoners i mean and in many cases we're talking about prisoners when we say prisoners of conscience it means that they have disagreements with the government or you know maybe they're practicing a religion and that's the case here or as i guess you'd say a religion of, of the fallen gong right but um these are people who are they're not like they're murderers and rapists and things like that these are people who are just disagree with the government on some level or they 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 say or practice things that the government doesn't agree with and they're summarily executed and their organs are harvested against their will. 
it's it's almost impossible to sort of imagine it. I mean, it's like reminds you more of like the 1930s and 40s in, in Nazi Germany, right? I mean, this is when oftentimes you hear people talk about human rights abuses in China, but that's all you hear. You never hear the specific of what we're talking about. So when I heard these stories, I was like, I can't believe this is actually happening in 2017 or 2018 now. Uh, go through the evidence because I think, you know, you mentioned there's no transparency. I know Israel passed a law and a number of people have done um, investigations from you know, these governments, but how can we be sure this is happening? Because it's almost impossible in today's, you know, today's world to imagine that this high-level coordinated, I guess you'd say almost like industry, state-sponsored industry exists. Yeah, it, it is. And it's very hard for us that are trained in, in Western uh, medicine to understand this. But uh, you have to realize that the Communist Party has had tight control over China since uh, 1949. And they've gone through, um, you know, series of purges. If you look at the history of the Communist Party um, of demonizing groups and then eradicating them, you know, in order to uh, support their regime and keep themselves in power so that the, the people that are now uh, in the positions as physicians and, and educated people in China have been indoctrinated since kindergarten uh, that the CCP um, is, uh, you know, the, the ultimate ruler of China and that uh, only what is good for the party is good for them. So that when the party demonizes a certain group, um, these people become non-human and then when they become non-human, then you are able to do with them what you uh, need to do in order to benefit the state. And so their bodies have now become commodities which benefit the state financially. And then Vertati talks about this in his testimony that, you know, a lot of these doctors really believed that they were doing something good for the state because they were helping to rid the state of enemies that the state had declared, you know, were non-human. Um, so that's sort of the background. It's hard for us to understand that having been raised in a society that um, encourages, uh, you know, freedom of thought and freedom of speech. Right. But let's get back to the um, evidence. Well, in 2006, uh, two different people um, came forward and said that Falun Gong practitioners were being prisoners of conscience who'd been rounded up since 1999 by the hundreds of thousands and were being held in camps all over China and were being harvested for their organs. Um, so these allegations surfaced, uh, two people, you know, who um, talked about that um, in Iraq, Washington and were interviewed. So then uh, two Canadians took up the uh, gauntlet, so to speak, to investigate. Uh, one was David Kilgore, the former Secretary of State for Asia Pacific from Canada, and then uh, a very famous human rights attorney, David Mattis, who uh, I believe his parents uh, survived the Holocaust in Germany. So here you've got you know, a Catholic and, and a Jew who are investigating human rights abuses you know, in, um, in China. And they investigated for some time, and they came to the regrettable conclusion that the allegations were true. Their findings were published in their book called Bloody Harvest in 2009. In the same time, there's an American expat living in London, an investigative journalist by the name of Ethan Gutman, who started independently conducting research over the course of about seven years, and he interviewed many Falun Gong practitioners who had survived incarceration in Chinese labor camps and had escaped China. And he reached similar conclusions based on um, you know, their testimony in his book called The Slaughter, which was published in 2013. More recently, all investigators, um, Mattis, Kilgore, Gutman, and then a whole host of Chinese researchers who have been mining public data from China, um, joined forces, and they researched the hundreds of transplant hospitals around China, and they uncovered the, real, the true scale of the abuses. Uh, an update was published in 2016 called Bloody Harvest, the Slaughter and Update, uh, which is over almost 700 pages long and has, you know, over 2,000 references. And they concluded the actual number of transplants uh, in China was uh, more than 10 times the officially reported ones and could be up to 100 times more than the officially reported ones. And the report states that, quote, 
the ultimate conclusion is that the Chinese Communist Party has engaged the state in the mass killing of innocents, primarily practitioners of the spiritually based set of exercises Falun Gong, but also Uyghurs, Tibetans, and select house Christians in order to obtain organs for transplant, end quote. Now, what is all this evidence that they have mined? Um, well, Chinese overseas who have mined the Chinese sources, what are these sources? Well, they are hospital profiles, hospital websites, media reports, medical journals, nursing journals, phone calls to hospitals, talking to doctors, talking to nurses, talking to procurement officers, uh, looking at um, government documents, looking at government grants, looking at industry reports, looking at uh, government, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the plan, the future plan of the government over years. Right. Um, and they have, um, you, you know, collated all this information. Um, and when this broke in 2006, they were looking at a lot of the hospital websites. And some of the hospital websites were openly uh, bragging um, that all of the kidney transplants came from living donors, not cadavers. Um, and they listed the prices openly, um, you know, for what organs would cost. Um, and so what they really have found is that China really has quickly become the world's leader in transplant surgery, despite a paucity of voluntary donations. There was actually no donation system at all in China uh, before a pilot program in 2010. Um, and then they developed this nationwide organ allocation system in late 2013, but it really appears to be an empty shell. Um, and uh, really, it, it, it doesn't seem to be you know, functioning you know, well at all. Additionally, there is no legislative definition for brain death in China. There's insufficient legal framework to guarantee ethical donations, and there's a general lack of trust in the population and the medical system itself. <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, and then there are all these different things that the leading officials have said. Um, China's leading transplant official has stated that the transplant industry in China is being held back not by the lack of available organs, but by a lack of qualified hospitals and experienced doctors. So China continues to expand its transplant capabilities and plans to nearly double the number of hospitals approved to do transplant by 2020, but they're not saying where all the organs are coming from. Um, and so there's no way that in the absence of um, you know, a well-coordinated donation system, like in the United States, say if um, you died in California in a plane, in, in, a, in a car accident, sure. uh, but in your brain dead, but you had organs that matched somebody in Florida, you know, we have a national system where everyone is listed and you know, your kidneys could get to Florida in 24 hours for the person in Florida that needs it. Well, in China, there's no organized national allocation system like that that functions, okay? Right. If they claim that all of their organs are coming from executed prisoners, executed prisoners need to be killed within seven days of sentencing. Additionally, the number of executions has decreased over the years. Uh, we don't really know the actual number of executions because this is state secret but that's what Amity International believes. Also, a lot of executed prisoners in China who've been convicted you know, of, uh, you know, of the death penalty, um, they're either uh, carrying hepatitis C or they're drug addicts um, or they're alcoholics and they don't really fit the criteria to be organ donors. So um, who are these people that the investigators have found um, you know, are the source for organs, you know, where is this living organ donor pool that China is taking organs from? Well, they must be prisoners of conscience because there's no other group. So the, the largest group really are the Falun Gong, but unfortunately, uh, the, the Uyghurs are also becoming a very large group as well. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. But um, so, um, so who are the prisoners of conscience? Well, in the 
late 70s, a health and fitness movement called Qigong spread throughout China. And then after the introduction of Falun Gong in 1992, also called Falun Dafa, uh, it spread rapidly and became immensely popular because it included not only meditative exercises for improving health and fitness, but also spiritual teachings for improving moral character. Falun Dafa practitioners live by the tenets of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. And that's how they live their daily lives. And they believe that as you improve your moral character and align with truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance, that you actually transcend. Um, and they believe in the existence of the divine. And they, you know, live, as I say, live their lives uh, by these principles. So these upright concepts are really antithetical to communist atheistic ideology. And then in 1999, the government actually estimated that 10% of the Chinese population, that's one in 10, 10% were practicing Falun Gong. And uh, they were really um, unsettled by the fact that 10% of the population were embracing spirituality and believed in God, you know, when the leadership uh, are promoting an atheistic society. So on July 20th, 1999, the entire state propaganda apparatus was engaged to vilify Falun Gong and turning more than 70 million peaceful people into enemies of the state. So they started um, rounding up Falun Gong practitioners, taking them out of their homes at night, uh, arresting them all over the place. And the directives from Zhang Zemin, who was then president of China, um, or head of the Communist Party of China, was to ruin their reputations, uh, ruin them financially, bankrupt them financially, and to destroy them physically. So police officers and people in detention centers were able to beat them to death, um, and the deaths would be ruled suicide. Um, and then the directive actually came down from Zhang Jimin directly, and, and uh, investigators have evidence of this from one of the lead um, military uh, people at the time who admitted it in a phone conversation, that Zhang Jimin actually ordered that organ harvesting be performed on Falun Gong practitioners. And this is what started the exponential rise in China's transplant industry. So, so basically, um, the evidence is, it's a preponderance of evidence, right? We have people who have called hospital. So hospitals would advertise how many, how many transplants they'd done. You could verify that by looking at the amount of medications, the immunosuppressant medications they would use. Uh, you had people who are eyewitnesses in some level who came back and said, yes, this is happening. Uh, so I think there's, it's fair to say that this is, that this occurred, right? And so then the question, as you mentioned, is, you know, where do you get the organs from? Well, the, the only place they're coming from are prisoner conscience because there is no transplant system. There's no ability to harvest organs and transport them across the country to get to viable uh, recipients. And so really it's the government must have had some sort of system where they, where they would, I guess, classify prisoners uh, on their genetic makeup or something like that for blood types or um, right to have to know where to have people to, for instance, that guy who got his heart transplant, they had to have know there's someone prisoner somewhere they could find a match for. And so they must have transported them to that hospital and then summarily executed them before. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, that is, it is correct. And it's really hard to believe that that's happening. Um, but really, you know, since the persecution began, the Falun Gong practitioners have been illegally detained, tortured, uh, you know, throughout labor camps, black jails, brainwashing centers and secret military detention facilities but they've also been forcibly subjected to blood tests and medical tests related to organ functions, such as ultrasounds of the abdomen, um, CAT scans of the chest, electrocardiograms, you know, all related to how healthy their organs are. You know, right. while in custody, thousands of eyewitness accounts to that. In fact, I spent months one summer in the summer of 2014 you know, reading all the firsthand accounts of the persecution that individuals had um, undergone on uh, a website called Mingwei.org, where I found uh, DAFA practitioners uh, share their experiences. Um, 
And I searched for all of the people who had actually been blood tested or had medical tests and, you know, individually read hundreds and hundreds of these. Um, and so, you know, really it's the, uh, and then last year, uh, the police were actually going into the private homes of Falun Gong practitioners and actually forcibly taking blood from them. So they have developed a huge DNA data bank and a tissue type data bank of their HLA types in, so that they can then be matched to someone who's coming in from another country you know, who wants an organ. So China really developed a huge organ transplant tourism business as well. Um, and that's a real problem because the people that are coming in to get organs you know, aren't told where the organs are coming from. If they ask, they're told it's not their business, that it, you know, is it, it, a living donor, um, you know, that, that voluntarily consents. Um, so they're not told, um, but it's, you know, that's, the onus is on them, you know, in a supply and demand situation, uh, you have to stop, you know, the demand for the supply. And that's what Israel has done. That's what Spain's done. Um, Italy and Taiwan have also done that. Um, and that's what we need to do as well. But really in China, it's the entire state apparatus. Started in the military hospitals, spread to the civilian hospitals, you know, the police, the judiciary, and the medical profession have all been involved. Um, and you know, transplantation has really um, been a huge financial boon to many of these hospitals. Um, and a lot of government grants, you know, encouraged it and um, promotion of physicians was based on how many transplants they would do um, and, and whatnot. So it's, uh, it's, it's a huge billion dollar industry that is like a runaway locomotive heading downhill. What, what are we talking about with numbers with this? And give a comparison what, it, what, what numbers are in this country sort of to give us a feel for, you know, the magnitude. Um, I'm not as familiar with the numbers in this country. I apologize. Oh, that's okay. Um, but um, I believe that, say, you know, in, in this country, maybe over a certain number of years, you know, 6,000 uh, liver transplants uh, have been performed uh, where that number may have been, you know, for the whole country, um, whereas that number could be um, exceeded by just a few transplant hospitals in China. Right. Um, you know, the, the investigators found that um, the government of China requires for certification as a transplant center a certain minimum capacity to be um, fulfilled. Like you have to have a certain number of beds um, available for transplant. You have to do a certain number of transplant operations in order sure. to maintain certification. So they combined the minimum capacity for each of the then 164 approved transplant centers. There are more now. Um, with media reports, the number of transplants performed by individual doctors that was reported in newspapers, reported by hospital websites, the number performed per hospital when it was reported, the size of the immunosuppressant market. And they found that most of the approved hospitals were far exceeding the minimum capacities that were required by the government. Some had uh, hundreds of dedicated transplant beds and utilization rates greater than 100% of the beds. No, so bed utilization rates. Right, right. Um, they advertise short wait times. Um, there are also in the Chinese literature, uh, you know, articles about emergency liver transplants. Well, an emergency liver transplant means that you find a liver for the recipient within 24 to 48 hours because they're dying of liver failure, complete liver failure. Um, and it, that would just, that's just unheard of. The number that, that were performed was just unheard of as compared to the United States. Um, so they really found that, um, you know, the number of transplants performed, um, you know, that they say annually in China is anywhere from 10,000 to 13,000 could easily be done by just a few hospitals so that the officially reported numbers vastly underestimate the actual numbers. So we're and talking like hundreds of uh, thousands. I'm sorry. But we're talking about hundreds of thousands, well, one, right? Yeah. At one point, uh, investigators uh, estimated that there may have been close to one and a half million fallen doctor practitioners who have actually been killed for their organs. And, you know, when you've 
I, I mean, the, the numbers of you know, the transplant numbers in this country, I mean, I know the United States is much smaller than China as far as population standpoint. We're about a third. I think China's a billion and this country's about 300 some million. Um, but so you wouldn't expect, I mean, the wait times here are much longer. You certainly don't have 150,000 <laughs> transplants a year. Um, and, you know, and I guess, you know, from a human standpoint, looking at it from someone who needs an organ, you may have to wait a long time in your host country. So you probably aren't going to ask a whole lot of questions if you can go get that organ that's going to save your life, especially if you can't imagine that something like this could possibly be occurring. It wouldn't even occur to you that, you know, that people are being executed just so you can have your heart. Um, people who are nonviolent, you know, offenders of, from a political standpoint. Um, and so you can see how you can see how there are plenty of people around the world who need these organs and will travel to get them. Um, and it's not just the Falun Gong, unfortunately. An article was just uh, uh, published uh, yesterday in the um, Epic Times about a congressional hearing that um, the Congressional Executive Committee on China had on July 26th, just last week, about how. Um, the Uyghurs uh, and the Muslims in the Uyghur Autonomous Region um, are also being severely uh, persecuted, and they um, feel that um, about a half a million to a million Uyghurs are presently incarcerated in re-education camps, um, and that um, there's no reason that you know they aren't being harvested just like the Falun Gong has been harvested because sure. they've also been blood and DNA tested. Um, so why are they being blood and DNA tested? You know, that's compatible with tissue matching for organ transplant. Um, so the other point that was really frightening about what's happening in um, the Uyghur territories is that the CCP or the Chinese Communist Party is building nine crematoriums in Xinjiang. Um, so this is what they do. They harvest the organs from the bodies and then they cremate them. So why would you all of a sudden go into this province and uh, build nine crematoriums? No so evidence. It's very right. frightening. You know, not only are they, uh, you know, they're adding to their pool of living organ donors. They're adding to their pool of um, prisoners of conscience. You know, they've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of Falun Gong practitioners, and now they're getting all of these Uyghurs uh, from the Xinjiang region uh, in China uh, as well. Um, so they just, uh, what's gonna be the end of this? You know, who are they gonna turn on next and start persecuting? Um, these are just people who have other spiritual or religious beliefs that they're incarcerating just because they feel like it. It's like, you know, in this country, everybody with blue eyes would have to go to a concentration camp and then they'd be blood tested and, uh, you know, executed at on demand for their organs for whoever will pay for their organs. Right. I mean, this is no different than Nazi Germany where you had forced experiment, scientific experimentation on Jewish prisoners um, or, and, or, and they weren't all Jews. I mean, they had people who were the, the leftovers of society, the ones who didn't fit in, but this it's hard to imagine that this sort of thing is occurring and that there's not, I mean, for as much uh, outrage we have about so many things in this country, you would think this would be, you know, top of the list. I mean, I don't, I, I, in reviewing this in the evidence and looking at news reports, I mean, there, there are reports here and there that you'll see, but it's not, this would, uh, for what's going on, you would think that this would be an everyday sort of occurrence. Like, I mean, People will be talking about this all the time, and it would be very familiar. I, I'd never heard of this. I mean, I consider myself fairly well informed, and yet this is an atrocity on the order of magnitude that it's, again, hard to comprehend. We, I mean, we all knew about apartheid in South Africa. We all knew about all these other sort of injustices, but this is, this is uh, crazy in sort of what's going on, and it's amazing that there's not that much outrage in the world. I mean, is it just because China is a, you know, economically powerful and makes a lot of stuff? I hate to think that's the reason. Well, um, I would refer you to several of the recent articles, including the FBI uh, director's uh, raised testimony recently and uh, several articles in uh, Washington Post and other leading journals that are complaining about the Chinese Communist Party's 
soft power and influence abroad and how they are infiltrating our uh, society, our government, our entertainment industry, our business, um, and, and even you know our, our medical communities. So um, they actually have been able, in our minds, to control the media and to control what is written about because they will... Uh, you know, use long arm tactics by, well, you know, if you report on this, then we're not going to let your reporters into Beijing or into China to report on anything else. So they have really um, put a, a, you know, a muzzle on a lot of the mainstream media outlets. Now, there are several that have been writing about it for a long period of time. The BBC uh, has one uh, reporter who has. Um, and then I would refer you all um, to the Epic Times. The English Epic Times can be found online, and that is a, an excellent source for, um, uh, you know, coverage about this. Um, unfortunately, you know, Americans and, and other foreign patients still continue to travel to China for organs, and the U.S. medical community continues to train Chinese doctors in our prestigious transplant surgery facilities and training facilities. Um, and our hospitals continue to cooperate with Chinese transplant hospitals, both clinically and in basic science research. And in fact, in November 2017, it's, it's you know, less than a year ago, an international investment group who's donated heavily to China's Organ Transplantation Development Foundation signed a memorandum of cooperation with a very famous medical center of transplantation in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to import into China um, American technology, the leading technology, including organ transplantation technology. So we are still uh, very much um, connected and um, you know, interlaced with uh, Chinese transplant um, community. Now, there was a time where the international transplant community eschewed China's practices of taking organs from prisoners and excluded them from uh, international meetings and excluded them from publication in some of their journals unless they could verify their sources. But then China started uh, claiming that it had made all kinds of reforms, which really have uh, no basis in fact. And uh, several of the international transplant leaders have, even people in the World Health Organization and the Vatican, have actually been hoodwinked by these unsubstantiated claims that China has made and have started again to cooperate with the Chinese transplant community. And this is really a problem um, because those who blindly accept China's practice of forced organ harvesting of innocent prisoners of conscience and accept it as legitimate and ethical will actually be colluding uh, and becoming accomplices to mass murder and to medical genocide. Right. I mean, I think it's important to call this murder. I think. For some reason, even saying genocide doesn't seem to have the same effect as just saying people are being murdered. I feel like that's uh, there's there's little uh, ambiguity when you use the term murder. And uh, so, I guess if you're looking for solutions, um, you know we can only control what we can control. The United Nations has no sovereignty over anywhere in the world, and so they can pass as many resolutions as they want. They can set up all the guidelines they want, but it essentially comes down to you. All we can do in this country is prevent the collusion with the with these practices uh, and is and to prevent the the demand I guess you'd say the demand of people who are um, seeking these organs I mean I, I imagine if you're the Chinese you can find other ways to to still pull off the practice by sending your um, donated organs to other countries to have them uh, uh, transplanted and things like that but you'd certainly make it more difficult for them uh, are there any are there any Aside from some state resolutions condemning the action, and um, the, the U.S. House, I think, condemned it as well, the resolution, are there many laws or anything similar to what Israel did with their Knesset to, I guess, ban travel for organ uh, recipients? Well, we have several resolutions that have passed at the federal level in many states, um, but they aren't binding. So right. we do need criminal legislation. Um, and one such has been um, introduced by Representative uh, Smith, Chris Smith from New Jersey. Um, I do not know how much support it has. It doesn't seem to be going very uh, quickly, but um, online of um, 
what other countries have done, what we really need to do and what individuals can ask our federal legislators to do is to follow in the footsteps of Israel, Spain, Italy, and Taiwan by legislating a ban on transplant tourism, um, insisting that our medical community disengage from Chinese transplant professionals by not training them on U.S. soil, um, and also um, to make criminal penalties for those who uh, act as brokers to, in you know, contact patients and you know, get them you know to China for organs. Um, and then prohibit pharmaceutical companies from conducting, you know, clinical trials in China. There are many of the leading pharmaceutical companies who make immunosuppressant medication that have done, you know, phase three clinical trials in Chinese transplant hospitals. Um, so we really need to um, legislate that just like the other countries that have done so have done. Very, very important. And to be clear, we legislate that sort of practice all the time in the sense that we're not, you have to have informed consent if you participate in clinical trials. And obviously, none of these people uh, have any sort of informed consent. I mean, I guess you could say they probably signed something under duress or whether it was or forged or something like that. But clearly, no one who's a prisoner of conscience is going to say this is okay uh, that you can do these. And so, that this research. I think this is all probably part of the Geneva Convention in the 1940s, right? Where you can't use medical research under um, for people who have uh, incarcerated or in this sort of situation, right? I think, I believe that's where it was. Ethics were prisoners for organ sources is against internationally accepted ethical guidelines, and um, it was that on that basis that initially China was ostracized by the transplant community. Um, but when they claimed that they stopped using executed prisoners um, for organ sources, then uh, transplant community began to, you know, have more intercourse with the social, I mean, the um, Chinese medical community, transplant community. But see, China has never, ever taken a position about prisoners of conscience. They have never said anything about prisoners of conscience being organ sources, nor have they ever admitted that. Right. Um, but each individual you know, in each individual physician, it's really our own ethical duty um, as members of the medical profession to advocate for an end of the murder of innocent people for their organs. Um, We really cannot allow physicians and the profession of medicine to act as instruments of persecution and of criminal murder. Right. I mean, I think... I think we have, an, we, have a, we have extra insight into medicine. I mean, that's why I developed this podcast because, you know, there's, we can get a perspective from what it's like from the physician standpoint. We have oh different knowledge than, some, than the layperson. But, I mean, ultimately, this is a, this is a human tragedy, and it, it requires not just physicians, but it requires all of us to sort of band together and, and create change. I mean, I guess um, – I, I suppose the way to sort of move this is to contact your representative, contact your your senator, write a letter to the president. I mean, this sort of thing just can't go on, and this has to end. And um, I imagine there's a lot of money. I mean, I know there's a lot of money in China. And there's a lot of money and influence they have, like you said. I mean, it, I know even movies in Hollywood, they have to portray China in certain ways because if it, that's a giant market for Hollywood. And so they have to be very careful about what sort of things they have in their films. And so I'm sure when it comes to the pharmaceuticals or hospitals and training programs and those sorts of things, the same economic incentives are there to prevent people from doing the right thing. And I think we just need to make the, the political pressure evident that makes people do the right thing at the, at these academic centers. Um, and, and that only starts by spreading the word as much as you can. And that's um, so if, if someone is a physician, obviously you have the, the doctors against forced organ harvesting which will, again will be linked on the, the website. It's how I found you in there. And, and this is not a board of um, kooky people. I want, there are a number of people on the board who are transplant surgeons at various academic institutions where they perform transplants in this, in this country. Um, it's an international organization too, from, from what I can gather. Uh, so I think, you know, if you're a physician, that's probably a way to get information to provide credibility to sort of the cause. Because I think that it's undeniable that, that what, what uh, is being purported is occurring, that the people are being rounded up and shot for their, you know, executed for their organs against their will. And then for the Actually, lay person, the, Oh, go ahead. 
actually the explantation surgeries are the modes of execution. So these human beings are actually being murdered on the operating table by surgeons who are procuring their organs for transplant. And it's often happening very close to where the donor is because many Chinese medical journals discuss ischemic time, warm ischemic times um, of less than five minutes. And you're an anesthesiologist, you work in an operating room. Yes. How can you have a liver out of a body for five minutes unless it's being walked across a hall from another well, that's operating the room? That's the only way, obviously. Exactly. So you, you talked about the financial incentives. And yes, I think a lot of people are quiet because of uh, the financial incentives involved in many aspects of this billion-dollar industry. But it's at the end of the day, it's going to be a moral choice. We oh, are absolutely. all going to have our own hearts make the moral choice to stand up for what is right and to stand up for what is ethical here and to stop China's expanding medical genocide. It's just we all will be required to make that choice. I think, you know, this is the thing, just like when you look back for in the, in the 30s and 40s, that people knew what was going on in Auschwitz and those places. And you have to answer to why you didn't do anything. Right. I mean, I think if you know and you do nothing, I don't know, it's hard to it's hard to go to sleep at night. Right. To say that you didn't do everything you could to try and stop us. I mean, obviously, for us here in the United States, it's too difficult. We can't stop what the Chinese are doing in many ways, but you can certainly make it more difficult for them from our as, as possible. And so aside from contacting legislators, what is what is a person who's a non-physician? What are the, I know there's a stop organ harvesting. And that's is it just spreading the word and just getting as many people knowledgeable about this? Is that, the, is that probably the, the most important step at this point? Yes, the, the, really for individuals, uh, the most important thing is to learn. Um, there is a wonderful um, website called ChinaOrganHarvest.org, where there's, they have a 20-minute to half-hour video called Medical Genocide at that website. Um, so inform yourself. Learn about the truth. You know, read some of the back issues of the Dof Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting newsletter. Go to, you know, another website, and Transplant Abuse, uh, which has all of the information from uh, David Madison, David Kilgore, and Ethro Gutman. Um, and then uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workplace, people in your workplace. Uh, contact your representatives and your state and federal legislators that you want something done about this. Um, and then sign a petition. Uh, we had a petition for many years that DAFO um, actually um, got uh, two and a half million signatures over five years all around the world and presented it to the United Nations, and uh, they actually did nothing. That's um, surprising. So the only, the only way we're going to have change is that everyone knows about this, everyone talks about it, and everyone shares the truth about what's actually happening in China to innocent prisoners of conscience, because if it can happen in China, it can happen anywhere, as long as we do not preserve our individual liberties and freedoms. Right. Well, and, and as a human being, how can you allow this to happen if you can do anything to stop it? I mean, whether you're, whether you're religious or not, it's the, uh, the, what's happening is, is unacceptable. And any, I, I don't know how the history books could ever write it any other way, right? Well, exactly. you know, thank you so much for what you're doing and for trying to spread the word. I'll do what I can. This is sort of my avenue. And aside from telling people, I've been talking in the OR for a couple of weeks about this, uh, what, what's going on. And uh, no one really, I don't mean that they don't believe me, but they're sort of, it, much like me, it seems, it seems uh, incomprehensible that this sort of thing occurs and that it's, and that most people don't know about it, which again, I mean, there's, you know, everyone knows what the Kardashians are up to, but what hundred some thousand people are getting executed. And I guess I want to add one last thing. I mean, you, one of the, the thing claims by the Chinese, of course, is that this is, this practice is no longer occurring, and that they're, I think, undeniably being uh, less open about their, um, uh, I guess, claims on the websites and things like that. But there was a in very interesting uh, South Korean investigative report uh, that you that you showed me that came out, I think it was this it was the end of last year, maybe, where they went to China. Yeah, and yeah, and they just went to China and followed a, and found a number of 
South Koreans who were looking for organs. And so they were all over in this, this uh, hospital, along with people from the Middle East. Um, and so what, the practice is still occurring. There's no question that it is because the amount of people who are voluntarily donating, it looked like it was like only 40 people in a country of a billion. <laughs> so clearly the organs are not coming from, from volunteers. And so um, I think there's, there's clear evidence that the practice is still occurring, even though they, they, they yeah, I encourage everyone to, to, to watch that um, uh, Korean video. It was uh, several months before it could be uh, dubbed into uh, English. So now it's available for the English uh, uh, speaking uh, people. But these were investigative reporters from TV Chosen, uh, which is a national South Korean TV network. And they went into the Tanjian First Central Hospital posing as relatives of a patient who needed kidney. And they found that the hospital was conducting transplants at full capacity with the operating rooms working 24 hours a day. And yeah. even though the Chinese say that international patients don't come anymore, there were three floors that were dedicated to international transplant patients. Um, and that they were told the wait for kidneys were just days or weeks and that they, if they gave additional donations, quote unquote, to the hospital, their wait would be even less than days or weeks. Um, and that um, a nurse said that there was even a, a, a hotel facility that was housing international patients. And one Middle Eastern patient's transplant costs were actually being paid directly by his, con his country's embassy. Sure. So the talk about the transplant industry uh, slowing or no more transplant tourism or no more use of executed prisoners um, was really completely disproved by this, uh, these daring investigators who risked their lives to go into China last fall from Korea. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no joke going to China. <laughs> You've seen what they do to their prisoners. So uh, just because you're a foreigner, I guess they probably want the money at this point, but they got, they, it's a dangerous thing what they did. And uh, well, it has to end. And I guess that's pretty much the, the theme of the show here. This has to stop. You have to tell everyone you know about this. And we all have to do what we can and provide the political pressure to make changes. Well, I appreciate you for sort of a, a, a sad sort of downer kind of episode, but one that's necessary. I think it's very important that people know what's going on. So, of course, and thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. And um, make sure that we add all that sort of information, all the links and things on the, the show notes page, which will be quite extensive because there's a lot of stuff to, to post. But thanks again for your help today. Thank you so much for having me. As I alluded to earlier, I wanted to come up with a list of things that we can actually do, actionable items, and things that I will do, and I hope that you join me in doing as well. They're very simple. Um, and I'll start with the simplest and move towards the most, most complex. I think the most important thing we have to do is incre increase the amount of knowledge that people have in this country about what's going on. And that's not just people who are in medicine or in government. This is everybody. The more people who know about this, the more we spread, the more effective we're going to be in, in stopping this practice. So I think you should go to the Stop Organ Harvesting website. That's in the show notes page but stoporganharvesting.org. Uh, there's a lot of media. There's all kinds of stuff you can use to send to friends to convince yourself even more thoroughly of what's going on. But that's really critical, I think, to do as a first step. The second thing I think you need to do is contact your political representatives. I would contact your state representatives, your, in your House of Representatives, in your state senators, the governor, and then you talk to federal officials, your congressman or congresswoman and your U.S. senators, both of them. And then I would even fire off a letter to the president. And I think as far as political action, what we can do is we can demand not only that our states pass resolutions condemning this action that's going on in China, but a lot of us are in states where there's research, as Dr. Corson was alluding to earlier in the show, uh, where there's collaboration with Chinese researchers and the transplant a business and that we can stop at our university uh, academic centers because so I think there's a lot of research and collaboration going on there and that we can set shut down at the state level and then from a federal standpoint we can prevent that as well uh, certainly with more uh, work that's going on with um, larger organizations like Medicare Medicaid or uh, the FDA with the pharmaceutical companies I mean, laws can be passed to prevent this from occurring finally 
I think you need to spread this word and you need to have people who are of faith. If you are of a church, I think it's very important that you go and contact your church leaders, your church council, and go to them and say, we need to end, put an end to this. We need to stop this. And as a church, we need, and as people of faith, we need to come together and call for an end to this, an end to violence and to this atrocity. And you need to educate your church, the church members, and obviously the people in leadership, and try and get your church to do something about this as well. Even if that's the same thing that we talked about in the first steps, one or two, of just telling other people and then talking to your political representatives. We need to start a movement. And this is clearly not being spread in the mainstream media uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know that we know why, but I think it's important that we get the awareness out there. And we need to be advocates because if it's not us, who is it going to be? And going back to the first question in the introduction, if you were in the know back then in World War II and you knew about the Holocaust, what would you have done? I think we've got our modern day atrocity, whatever you want to call it, genocide. But I think we need to do something. And I'm calling on you to join me to do something. And let's stop this. Thanks so much. And we'll talk again in episode 18. Have a great week.